then and then taking it to the next step a willingness afterwards to be you know willing to admit i was wrong or not what could i have done better um you know how can i get better moving forward because i'm not ultimately going to be judged by that one single moment hopefully mm -hmm. not but really i'm going to be judged in the long run by like you know my body of work over the next period of time whatever that is that's nathan farrell and this is the sugar bench adventure podcast they trail by eight keep going to the hoop no! So if we go back to March Madness and we see Nathan Farrell, center court, working a big game, it's easy to think that he's always been there. So today's pod is to talk about how he got there and um, all the cool stuff that he got to do along the way. So the pod rolls on this week. Thanks so much to Nate. This is episode number 27. We want to keep this thing rolling. Be sure to hit us up at sugarbench at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram at the sugarbench. And without further ado, let's roll. Nathan is a father, husband extraordinaire, NCAA men's division one basketball official for the past 10 years. Um, he's worked at Cairo Durham, the middle school as a principal and also as director of curriculum and instruction. Uh, he attended St. Lawrence University, graduated in 2005, Division three soccer player alum, um, lots lots of things to to go through. But Nate, I think just first and foremost, I want to just thank you for for being on, and can't wait to to ask you um, a bunch of cool questions. Yeah, man, thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. I uh, I don't know about husband extraordinaire. My <laughs> wife might uh, have some feelings about that, but. Uh, yeah, man, I'm 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 flattered that uh, you know you'd want to spend some time asking me uh, any questions. You know, I, I could ask you more questions. You're probably more interesting than me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. As I was thinking about this this week and having a chance to connect with you as a school counselor, I've been a school counselor for ten years, and um, I think the students that impress me the most are the ones that are brave and ambitious. And um, when I think about your journey from we both grew up in relatively small towns and you um kind of parlaying that into being um successful in what you've done i just want to kind of talk to you about like i know we're gonna have time to talk about what that looks like now but what are some of those kind of early chapters and in the sense of um that kind of was the start for you that that has kind of built that foundation to for you to be successful what was that like growing up in a small town yeah, I think um, it's a cool dynamic uh, where we grew up in the North Country mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people look at it as this, you know, rural, middle of nowhere, kind of, you know, small area that doesn't offer a lot. And I always had a bit of a different perspective. I always, I always took a real pride in growing up in the North Country. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it had to do with just the nature of, you know, my family you know very well, like you have a big extended family and a real, you know, connection to the the area you grow up in, a connection to the school, a pride in the school and everything that comes with it. And and I love that about, you know, growing up in Ogdensburg. I mean, as a kid, all I ever heard and remember were people saying things like, oh, it's such a great place to raise a family. Yeah, right. And I think that's changed a lot, but I still appreciate it for what it is. There's so many generation family generations that go back and you know, everybody knows everybody, but I always do that in a good way. Like my uncles who are all, you know, involved in sports, my 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 cousins, everybody, you know, and, and someone knows someone and they are and their, you know, uncles and aunts and whoever played against these people. So there's all there's this like big fraternity bond that comes with growing up there. And I think everybody takes a real pride in, you know, certainly the athletics of the North Country. Um but just, you know, that that common bond. And I can't tell you how many times I go somewhere in this, you know, country. It doesn't matter where it is. And I'll run across a connection to the North country yeah, through right. a person that somebody knows they, they might've went to cut, you know, a couple colleges up there, St. Lawrence Clarkson that, you know, creates a pretty big network. 
Um, so yeah, you know, growing up there, I, I loved it. I, I appreciated it for what it was. I'd go up there every summer with my kids and try and ingrate in them, you know, some elements of the North country and a tough mindedness, um, that, that comes with it. And it's different, you know, it's different today than it was, you know, when, when we grew up there, I, you know, somewhat nostalgically, idealistically say to joy, we could, we could move back to the North country and live there. we spend a little bit of time and I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be as easy as, you know, I like to think it is because it's so great during the summers up there. But um, yeah, man, you know, I think, I think most people, if they grow up in a small tight knit community, they share that kind of, you know, you know, fondness for it. Um, a lot of my friends who grew up in suburbs outside of bigger cities, they don't have some of those same like tight knit bonds to where they grew up. They, right. it, it's, it's just really different in the North country, whether, you know, Ogdensburg or Lisbon or whatever other small town, um, you know, people identify with the North country and it is something special about it, you know, and there's a lot of people that have gone on from there to do really cool stuff and be successful um, and I think people take a pride in that. And I certainly, you know, am, am proud of anybody that, you know, comes from our area and does great things, whether it's, you know, regard whatever kind of career pursuit, you know, it's cool to follow other people and know them. And we all share that bond. Yeah. So for me growing up, um, I remember uh seeing Ricky Carlisle, you know, and, and that kind of opened my brain in terms of um, getting out and and I'm nostalgic for Lisbon too. And, and all that, um, you know, that I picked up there, but it also made me grateful, um, when I was able to, to move to, to different areas and, and live in different spots because, um, you start, you, you appreciate it more, at least I do, you know, like I appreciate, um, having a community around me now, um, where there's, there's maybe more culture, more things going on, but I appreciate that because I've, I've been in an area maybe that, that doesn't have as much. So, yeah, I think that's cool. Um, how, how did, how did your high school career, how did you transition that into, um, your college career? Because you, um, I remember seeing you play at St. Lawrence and at that time you were, you were, um, you played as a goalie and I remember a game where you were, you know, I think you were warming up or, but you could tell that that crew at St. Lawrence had just a different vibe to it. I mean, you guys were training hard. You were excellent. Um, how did, was that a tough transition to go from high school to that college culture for you? Um, yeah, it was totally different. It was, you know, um, uh, the, the mentality difference of the culture that our coach DeRocher built there was so intense and mm-hmm. 110% all in all the time. And I think right. all the players fed off of that. So if you weren't fully like buying into it, you didn't, you didn't fit with the program. Um, and let's be clear. I was never, uh, the, the, the level of player that I, you know, thought I was or wanted to be. I never, you know, I never achieved, uh, I guess the collegiate success that I hoped for, but it was the best, you know, four years of experience. Some of my best friends to this day, are the guys from that team and program. And it was such an, um, you know, a close knit group. You know, I went in as a freshman and the seniors that year were two years removed from winning the national championship. Right. And they fully expected to win a national championship that year. I mean, it was every day was training for win a national championship or, you know, the season was a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it was amazing because I think like to your, question like was it different I mean it was you lived breathed you know slept soccer all the time I I can remember freshman year when soccer season ended and I felt for a period of time kind of lost like what do I do with all this free time like this this is what normal college kids have for free time like what do you do with all this time um because it was just you know every day training and morning morning runs and workouts and late night stuff and film sessions and weekends and games. I mean, you just really lived it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look back at it now as like, you know, some of the, the greatest, you know, days that, you know, I, I, I had experiencing it with, you know, some of my, my best friends to this day. Um, and, you know, a lot of the lessons I took away from there, 
you know, I applied them to when I was, you know, working, um, developing like different careers and certainly as a principal and really appreciated much more as I grew up and became an adult, I could appreciate my coach's mentality, even though, you know, at the time I was maybe frustrated by certain things. Um, you know, I learned to really appreciate what he brought to the table from, a, you know, building a program and discipline and dealing with, you know, all the headaches that come with being a coach administrator, you know, all the above. Yeah. The, the interesting thing, but, um, me having a chance to play at St. Mike's, um, I'm always reminded whether I'm like, say you drive by a, um, a soccer complex on a Sunday, say Clifton park, or even here in Schuylerville, um, there's hundreds of kids out there playing. And you think about like a St. Lawrence university soccer team, what maybe they have 20 kids. I mean, you do the math, you know, if you fly in on a plane and you look out there and there's thousands of, of houses, you know, all those yeah. kids, you know, and I just felt like, you know, um, just really appreciative of, of my time too. And it sounds like you did how you, and you mentioned your, your other, um, your kind of your next step. So you went from St. Lawrence and that's when I knew I wanted to go to Albany, you know, and, and make that happen. And you, we, we moved on at a similar time. Um, what was that like for you though? I, I didn't get to experience that, you know, like you did. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was at St. Lawrence when, so I, <laughs> you, you, you might, I don't know, you, you don't know, probably remember this um, fondly, um, but um, it was the summer before my senior year where we were playing basketball in the Bay County League and mm -hmm. you and your dad were refing. Absolutely. And yes. I, I, me and my cousin Ryan laughed often because I believe your dad gave me a technical foul and then <laughs> my cousin Ryan said something and he gave him a technical foul and then he said something else. So your dad gave him another technical and then he said something more. And I think your dad like, you know, gave him a, and it, it was one of those awesome. debacles. Um, but uh, I forgot about Ryan, that. Me and yeah, Ryan and I laugh about that often because um, he was the biggest knucklehead there was. Um, but uh, it was, you know, I, 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 I hurt my ankle and foot really bad in a game that summer and ended up on crutches and ultimately in a cast at the start of the season. Right. So um, my senior year started in a cast and then I came out of it, you know, in – I don't know, sometime in October, late October, and it just wasn't that good. And uh, oh, yeah. the the doc was like, yeah, we're going to need to do surgery eventually. So I went back into a cast, and um, that was when I, I started taking the referee classes to just do something to fill the void, right, um, yeah. without soccer for the rest of that time and wanting to pay for spring break. I was like, well, I'll go referee basketball. So anyway, yeah. back to your question. Um, when I moved to Albany, um, you know, refereeing was kind of definitely very much a, um, a priority in mm -hmm. that it was guiding some of my decision-making, which is crazy as it sounded at the time. Um, I was really, you know, mentally thinking, how do I position myself to referee, um, you know, uh, a lot and right. you know do, do something at a higher level with this yeah. so it was um you know kind of rethinking some career stuff and law school was sort of always the goal and then basketball refereeing which sounds ridiculous started to creep into that equation and uh i decided to do get my master's at u albany in education so that's where you know it um I moved to Albany yeah. um, and Joy with my fiance at the time, Joy. And we said, you know, it's a good place to kind of start our grown up life, you know, post-college life. And that's what we started, you know, doing. It was back in you know, 2007, something like that, I think. So I, I, I hear you say like that it's kind of silly now in retrospect to, to shape your life around basketball, but how, cause I'm trying, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words to do it. How do you articulate once you get into that basketball culture, how important it is for so many people? 
mean, because it felt real. Like when, when I moved, yeah, got into board 36, like you get in those meetings, you get in those games and you're like way over your head. At least I was over my head for a lot of them. And you're like, Oh yeah, this is a real thing. This is, this isn't the old, um, you know, big country league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where I'm checking up those knucklehead. Ferals. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I think, I think, um, I think basketball, um, well, I think anything competitive, you're either, uh, have that competitive mindset or you don't. And then depending on how much of a competitor you are, you know, drives a certain fire inside you and, um, whether it's sports or games or, you know, whatever it is, you know, I think certain people are driven by that type of competitive spirit, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and basketball officiating, I think people either love it or hate it. And there's really no in between, you know, um, if you're in between, you kind of peter off pretty quick. Um, but it, you know, it provided for me right away, just this, you know, kind of like, wow, this taps into my competitive drive and my, mentality to you know go after something and there's always you know kind of that ladder to climb right like that's what soccer was for me my whole life like climbing the ladder to to play and compete and get to a higher level and you know my delusions of hey someday I want to play professional soccer well right I realized I wasn't good enough (laughs) to do that and had to like okay I'm not good enough to play professional soccer what am I going to do um and then I happened into refereeing some basketball just to make some money and thought, man, I really like this and I can be good at this. Um, let me see, you know, let me learn a little bit more about it. Um, and it seemed crazy at the time to start making life decisions because of officiating basketball, but it was, you know, you and I, when we went to, um, North and South Carolina and spent a week, you know, in like a boot camp of referee, referee camp. Um, it, it opened my eyes to how serious people took it, which I was very surprised by. Like I did not realize how serious people took what I considered, you know, this side thing to do. And when I realized how serious people took it and then how you could, you know, be successful in it, both, you know, as an avocation, but then man, as a vocation, a while people are making a career out of this, uh, you know, it, 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 it kind of checked all those boxes for me, right? Something I can do and be, it's competitive and you set goals and you can, you know, you know, perfect your craft, even though you can never be perfect at it, you can really strive to do, you know, be, better at something, um, and improve. And, and I think it was after that summer that, you know, I came home and I was like, I absolutely want to go all in on trying to pursue this and what that was going to be. I didn't know, but I knew, I knew, all right, I need to kind of find the career path to complement that. And that's kind of what drove me into education. And and that was, that was in June. So, um, my dad got me into officiating and as a way to make some, some side money. And I I wrote down every game that I worked. And, um, and so that was June, 2016. And I wrote down the game that we worked, which was June, January 2nd, 2008, which was Doan Stewart versus New Haven. (laughs) (laughs) And I I said, that was the backcourt that you could cross and then go back into the backcourt because the court was so small. That was the oh, best man. $74 I ever made. <laughs> but did you, and, and for me, there's a couple moments there where I was like, okay, like coming from an educational background, like, I feel like, um, this is really positive for me. I can, I can help people learn the game. I can, um, improve my own skill set. coming from your own educational background. Did you see that crossover too for you? Cause I know you were working in a school at the time. Like, was there crossover for you in terms of what you were seeing in your buildings and on the court? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one complemented the other and I don't think, I don't think I would have become the basketball referee I was without becoming the principal that I became and Mm -hmm. vice versa. 
I think they both gave me a unique perspective on the other um, and, you know, gave me some insight into doing both jobs and how to do both jobs better. I mean, there, there's so many parallels between, I don't really care what kind of job you're doing in a school mm-hmm. system, you know, like whether a guidance counselor or a teacher or right. administrator, regardless of level of administration, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a business of communication and, right. um, more and more dealing with, uh, levels of irrational behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't even necessarily mean negative, but just irrational seeing things from a perspective that is entirely one-sided and you have to, you know, work, help someone work through that because ultimately you're going to make a decision in a lot of cases, especially as a administrator, it's, you know, days spent just making decisions, sometimes small, sometimes big. Mm -hmm. So I think what I, um, I think what I, you know, um, learned quickly in both was, you know, if you're going to be successful at this job, you, you need to become a really strong communicator. Um, and every day, you know, you're just doing the same thing in different environments in a basketball game of, you know, crazy environments and, and student athletes, you know, regardless of level with, you know, passionate fan bases and passionate coaches to being a principal and dealing with, you know, unruly kids, unruly teachers, unruly parents, right. you know, um, at the end of the day, usually it's not personal, right? People, I, th- I think what, what people, um, oftentimes do is they don't recognize that you're a person mm-hmm. who's, you know, a human emotional has, you know, thoughts and different, they just see the referee with stripes. Um, they just see the principal, you know, the, the guy who makes the rules, they don't really see the personal side of that individual. So people behave differently. And I learned, you know, again, you just learn to adjust to those types of, uh, perspectives from people and, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't take it personal. Um, Yeah, I think one of the coolest things um, as I progressed in my career, I could feel myself getting more confident, which let me be wrong more often. I think you you hit it earlier. You said that, you know, something to the fact that you can't work a perfect game. Um, I don't know if that was your specific words, but that's the point. It's aspirational to work a perfect game. It's aspirational to be a perfect school counselor or teacher, Um, but it's maybe not um, feasible every day. And, and I think my question to you is, how do you keep your confidence high enough where you're open to other people's criticism or suggestions, but you're confident enough to know that I got this, I'm running this show. I mean, I think back to a game where I saw you work at Siena, crowds going crazy, big court, coaches are going nuts. And clearly, maybe on the inside, you felt different, but on the outside, you were like, yeah, I got this. This like a Don Stewart game. How do you get to that point? (laughs) Maybe that's jumping ahead, but that's interesting to me. It's uh, I think it's trial and error. I mean, I think again, there's so many parallels between the jobs I did, which I think helped me. Um, Mm -hmm. I became a principal far earlier than I should have become a principal. Right. Um, I'm dealing with a position of leadership for people that are far more experienced than I, Um, a lot more years, you know, vested, uh, you know, just, people that did have more content knowledge um, and I'm now in a position of leadership. And just like in basketball, I've often felt like, you know, I was able to move into it pretty quickly and climb a ladder pretty quickly. Um, And, you know, getting thrown into the fire, I think you just, you learn something about yourself, your ability to respond to that type of pressure. And some people don't like it and can't Mm -hmm. deal with it. Um, and other people's can, you know, I think, um, experience it, not let it consume them and react accordingly. And that doesn't mean I'm not necessarily impacted by it. I remember, um, it was a game at Sienna. I don't know if this is the same one, but I made a call that the entire place when they played the replay on the the big screen booed, whatever number of people were in there. Right. It was against Sienna and every single person booed. And I remember the feeling of, wow, I kind of like that. That doesn't bother me. That, <laughs> that's kind of, 
that's kind of cool. Like, you know, and it's that goes back to like, you know, your type of person that you are, your competitor, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and, and then taking it to the next step, a willingness afterwards to be, you know, willing to admit I was wrong or not. What could I have done better? Um, you know, how can I get better moving forward? Because I'm not ultimately going to be judged by that one single moment, hopefully Mm -hmm. not, but really I'm going to be judged in the long run by like, you know, my body of work over the next period of time, whatever that is. And I felt that as a principal, I mean, I made some early mistakes on as a principal, like anybody Mm -hmm. does in a position of leadership, but I also, um, adopted, you know, the, uh, you got two ears, one mouth, use them in that proportion mentality. And what I didn't know, I would learn and listen. Um, and then I would make a pretty well-educated decision and be direct and firm and fair about it. Um, and I've always tried to be kind of like that in basketball as well. You know, I'm not the most experienced. I'm not certainly the best. I'm not anything special. I got an opportunity. And when that opportunity came, I did okay and advanced to the next step. And I always kind of like when I told my students um, who hated the class they were in or hated mm-hmm. the subject that of their teacher or whatever it was, I said, it doesn't really matter now. This is just one step in the, the process to get to the next step. Don't let it consume you. Don't let it define you. Just take it for what it is. This is this step in the process and you move on to the next. Um, and I've tried to, you know, always kind of do that. You know, um, sometimes you don't get the, advancement you want right away and it's well this is the step in the process and being willing to accept that and you know I think humility comes into it all right well why didn't I get selected did it have to do with me or things just outside of my control and I think most times it's stuff out of people's control Um, but if it is in your control and you find that out well are you capable or even willing to fix it to address that issue to then advance. Right. Um, and I certainly think that's the case in basketball officiating. Sometimes there's just things that people need to work on, um, that they can do better. And then other times it's just stuff that's out of their control that has nothing to do with them individually. It's just the timing or the greater circumstances of why they didn't get that assignment or get hired to move into that, you know, league or get the next, you know, um, contract with a different league or whatever, whatever it is. Um, so I think, you know, it, it all comes back to just being able to put it in perspective, which I've always tried to do just like, all right, well, that didn't work. I didn't get what I wanted or whatever it else. All right. Circle back, regroup and keep plugging ahead, you know? Right on. So, um, I just have a couple more questions on basketball before I get into your current setup. Um, I've always been interested by the notion that um, sometimes the hardest games to work are some of the lower level games, but I've never actually gotten to to ask a, you know, a D one guy that. So can you tell me about what that was like um, working some of those lower tier games, as opposed to maybe you can pick a game, you know, that you got to work last year. That was, you know, super awesome game. Like it, like for instance, like just at the division one level. Yeah. I guess I'm just not convinced that, um, let's, let's take a, you know, a top D one official. Let's just take Teddy Valentine, for example, and throw him in any gym in the middle of nowhere on a Friday night for a varsity basketball game. You could have a gym absolutely hate him, you know? So I guess, I guess that correlation between how much the fans like you and how good you are as an official, like, that's not like a, like a, like a straight equation, you know? So I'm just wondering if you had hard games that were quote unquote lower level in your career. Yeah, sure. Um, You, you know, the lower the level, the more you have to make certain decisions based on simply the, lack of quality play that's going on. So you're presented with so many more decisions to make Um, a higher level game, much better skilled players. They don't double dribble as much. They don't turn the ball over. Um, They make more shots. They don't do 
obviously dumb things, right? But as you go down to a lower level, like modified games, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's where I started seventh and eighth grade modified games. Um, you make a lot of decisions. Uh, that's a definitely a travel. Should I call it? It was just sort of a travel, not that, you know, a really bad travel. So the lower level of the game, just the sloppier play and the more decisions that you have to make. Um, and, and I'll, and I think there's an answer to that question. Not that they're harder to work because they're, they're more difficult to referee in the sense of, um, some elements of purely making the decision about is that, okay, that is a double dribble. Am I going to call that? And the impact on the game at those levels typically doesn't matter as much, right? A seventh, eighth grade modified game. Yeah. Now it matters to those kids. um, But the mentality you might have, you know, is, is not that same level of intensity that, that comes with it. It's an important job to referee that game for those kids because it's their, you know, championship game, right? Even though it's only a seventh grade modified game on a Wednesday, um, it matters a lot to them, but is it difficult to referee? Um, it can be just because it's sloppy and there's a lot more decisions to make. I compare that to um, a higher level division one game in the big East or ACC. Mm-hmm. The play is much better. The decisions I'm going to make are usually more straightforward in that that's clearly a foul. That's not a foul. Um, they don't, have as many violations at that level right now go to a mid major low mid major type conference where the players aren't as athletic or they might be athletic but they're not as skilled and that's why they're there not at a high major they have more violation type stuff more travels and double dribbles and they make a a strange decision that catches you off guard because normally you don't see it on an everyday basis um those games can be challenging to referee because you have to make a decision on almost every single set up the floor and you're constantly making those decisions. Whereas you get to a higher level game and there might be a better flow, right? Like they're just more skilled players. So pass, pass, shoot, score. And mm-hmm. I didn't have to make a decision. I just had to not interrupt the game with my whistle for anything that didn't really matter. I think the thing that ultimately makes those higher level games more difficult is the the sheer intensity that comes with some of those games. Mm-hmm. And every single game in, you know, the Big East, yeah, from the day conference season starts till the day conference season ends, they play it with an intensity that you are making a lot of decisions all the time. And your decisions a lot of the time are, is that a foul? Is it not? Was the guy vertical? You know, there's contact. Contact doesn't mean a foul, right? Illegal right. contact is a foul. So I'm judging a lot more like the the totality of the play. I'm judging more, you know, the, 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 the bigger picture of it. And there's an intensity that comes with the players, coaches, fans because those games really have you know a rivalry and they they matter for purposes of you know postseason Mm -hmm. um and you know the the tournament um go backwards to a high school game it could be just as intense from a rivalry standpoint and everything um and it might have that same degree of intensity well then they're both just as difficult you know Mm -hmm. in my mind the way i'm i'm dealing with them um like a real I can remember, man, when we worked um, at Troy, Schenectady Troy, too, man, yeah, and the place was packed, and they're screaming at us, and it was, it just, it always seemed like this game to me that was so intense, intense. for that night and that moment. Um, was it difficult? Well, in context, I, it, yeah, it was, it was a hard game because we had to make a lot of decisions and it felt really intense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you, once you get comfortable with the environment of the intensity mm-hmm. and that doesn't become more than my job to just play calls and communicate and facilitate the flow of this game. Mm-hmm. That's when it doesn't feel, you know, quote unquote difficult. Yeah. That makes sense. I think it's interesting because there's a couple things there. There's, there's the layers of the players in the big East that, that probably want to go to the league. 
um, that think every play is important. The coaches, their salaries, uh, their job may depend on a game. Um, and then on top of that, you yourself, you don't want to blow up your whole crew. Like you don't, you don't want to have three bad whistles in a row and, and kind of break that facade of a, a really good crew going. And so I, there's so many things like now when I watch a game, I just watch, I mostly just watch the officials. And th- when you talk about being a communicator, it's like body language, it's getting in front of the coach. It's how you, how you deal with the players. There's so many things that are beyond the rules. Like when people talk about officiating, it's like, well, it's all about the rules. Well, the rules are the framework and, and it's your skill as an individual, as a human being that, that brings so much to it. And, yeah, um, absolutely. That's like saying, you know, principals, um, people in schools, right? Like, oh, it's black and white. There's a code of conduct. Code of conduct. And just follow the rules. Yeah, well, we live in a, a gray area world. Nothing, <laughs> nothing applies to black and white. And if you do try to do that all the time, you're going to go crazy because no one wants to live by the black and white just code of the rules. And the same with basketball. Enforce the rules as written as our, you know, what we have to do. but there's a subjective element even within that of applying the rules as written to two highly competitive, you know, teams of 10 players moving on a floor at a really fast speed. Um, There's still going to be some ability to make interpretations in a subjective way um, to be as objective as possible. You know, you're you're still human. You're still human seeing it through your human lens. Yeah. Um, you're like the adult in the room, man. Did, <laughs> yeah. did, did you did you have any um any games? Because I I don't know all the games that you worked last year, or the year before. Um, that you kind of looked around and were able to like enjoy it and and process it in the sense that like this was a big game and where it kind of clicked for you. Do you remember the team um, or the the gym or? You know, like last year, I don't, I, I, I mean they all feel like there's such a level of importance on them now. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I think it's not just in the world of basketball, but it's because of, you know, our society with social media and everything is out there. Everything's televised. Everything is, you know, shared and reported and people can be in tune to everything. So everything just has a feel of, high priority and this game matters. I mean, it could be the first conference game of the season and everybody's acting like if they lose it, they're going to be out of the tournament. You know, they're all playing to get to the tournament. Yeah. And in the long run, right? Like we know based on history, one game usually doesn't decide the tournament Mm -hmm. from November, December, early January. But now they all treat every game like this will, you know, make us uh, get to the tournament or not. Um, and that's, and that's, I think just the difference now, like going into every game with a mentality of, I have to be absolutely my best um, tonight. It doesn't matter uh, who's playing, what night it is, what month it is. Um, mm-hmm. This game matters for their overall resume. Um, whether it does or not, they believe it does. Yeah, and um you have to just absolutely be on the screws. And I think that's, you know, now going back to your question about like what makes a difficult game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just, you know, you've, it's almost like you just can't make mistakes ever. Right. You know, when we referee a game, they say you can't make a mistake under four minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't make a mistake at 14 minutes either um, right. that, you know, sometimes you get, you, you're going to get flack for that. Um, but you certainly can't make mistakes under four minutes because teams can't recover um, in the same way. And, and it feels like that, you know, throughout the whole game in, in a lot of ways, which I think, you know, is a good thing because it makes yeah, you right. really focus. I mean, I, I remember, uh, I remember being exhausted one year after, you know, a stretch of games and at work and I got home and, joy was asking me some questions and i'm just like i just can't talk i talk for a living all i do is have to talk and communicate (laughs) with people and i just want to sit in pure silence for a little bit and not have to communicate or make a decision or do anything 
Um, and it's, and, and I think that's the real challenge is just the mental element to getting through a season, especially when at the time I was, you know, working full time as an administrator too. You know, right those were long, long days, long nights. Yeah. But any, any court though, that, that you found yourself in, you know, during a timeout or something where you just kind of looked around and, 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 and thought about like, and just kind of appreciate like, Hey, I did a pretty good job here. Um, you don't I think I felt, like, I, I, I felt like that the, the, the end of the season. Um, I didn't know it was the end of the season. Right. But I felt, but I felt good leaving the floor uh, in the garden after mm-hmm. uh, the, the first game of the Big East tournament. Right. Um, our crew did a, a really good job. Um, it was a, a really good game. And we left knowing that we did our job well and we did everything we had to um, not perfect, but mm-hmm. we did a good job. Um, and I felt good about that. You know, it was my second year working in the big East tournament. So feeling more comfortable just with the, Hey, I'm working in the big East tournament. You know, yeah. that was always my goal, my dream. Um, and uh, to, to get there and accomplish that felt, felt really good. Um, and yeah, you know, leaving that game was a good feeling. Unfortunately, uh, that turning into uh, what happened and transpired after, nobody really expected nor wanted. But sure, right, you know. So my my last thought on the basketball before we go to our mandatory lightning round, and wrap this whole thing up. Um, <laughs> what? How are you approaching this year? And what? What are your your thoughts on? Do you have any indication of what your schedule looks like, or what? games will look like well i uh i got i had a little setback that was not expected so okay. the answer to this is pretty easy i have no expectations for this year because i i won't be officiating um oh no so i broke my arm in june uh pretty badly and was uh i've been rehabbing and in treatment and everything uh, it hasn't healed. I need another surgery. Oh, um, no, yeah, the docs uh, wouldn't clear me for uh, the start of the season. So then I had to make a decision of uh, when to have the surgery and um, doing it sooner than later to basically give it the time it needs to heal for, you know, 2021. Wow. Um, considering the nature of this season and everything, um, you know, it, it was a little bit of a, I don't want to say an easier decision because it wasn't easy, but how everything's going this season. Mm -hmm. um, It's a weird year anyways. Yeah. um, It, it, I guess it made it a little bit more of a less bitter pill to swallow to Mm -hmm. miss out on this season. Not that it's easy to miss out on this season. I'm already getting the, you know, the, the itch that this is weird. It was just my birthday and I've never been home on my birthday. It's weird, you know, yeah, um, right. but you know, listen, it's, uh, one of those things, it's a, it's a setback, but it's how you approach it, you know, it, deal it with it. The same thing you were talking about when, at the start of the conversation, you, you, you roll, you deal with it. You, uh, yeah. Forward. Yeah. Yeah. Regroup and, uh, get ready for, uh, how to move forward. So I'm slated for surgery in December Dang, and, uh, that. I'll be, uh, you know, ready to go for next year. So it's, it's weird, man. I, I, I've missed one basketball season since I started in 2004. Right. And I had foot and ankle surgery when the first year I'm, we moved to Albany. Right. Um, you were I, out there. Yeah. And it was the longest winter in my life. Um, and I remember being pretty devastated and, uh, you know, listen, I'm at a different place in my life now. So, uh, yeah, you got the kids. a little bit. Yeah. So, all right, man, this is our mandatory lightning round. I know you get paid right. by the hour, so I'm not gonna like, hold you too long. Okay, all right. What are some? And I ask everybody this, man. We've had uh, doctors, cool. everybody on here, so you're included in this too. So, what are some material things in your life that are indispensable to you, Nathan? Uh, material things. Yeah, material things. Man, um, I live in a house with an eight and a five year old, and I always tell my wife they're you care that much about any material thing then you should just throw it out now because they're going to trash it sooner or later <laughs> just like, why are you upset about our furniture they're animals they're just they gonna are destroy it anyway so why care 
Um, so yeah, that's my approach on material things. Uh, there's nothing that's indispensable. I guess I would say, um, I travel so much. I'm on the road so much during basketball. Uh, I'm a TV junkie. I watch every show there is between Netflix and Amazon prime and you name it. So I guess, uh, I need my iPad with me cause I wouldn't be able to watch all my shows and I am an absolute admitted TV junkie. Yeah, Sarah's bummed that I'm I'm missing Queen's Gambit right now, but I think this is more interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you have a quote that speaks to your approach? I know we've talked about your approach quite a bit today, but um, do you have any quotes that stand out to you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I was once told um, be uh, disappointed, not deterred. And it, uh, it always has stuck with me. It's always, um, you know, kind of fueled me anytime I've dealt with any disappointment that had to do with not getting hired to work in, at the at the college level and yeah, right. be disappointed, but not deterred. And a year later, after a tough year, a year later, I got in and everything kind of, you know, took off from there. Um, that's you, that your that, first crack of the ECAC you, you didn't get in right yeah 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 right. back in the CBOA days mm -hmm. I tried out and you know you saw your peers getting in around you and I didn't but right. it was uh it was a good little life lesson not deterred. um that that same person told me uh careful what you wish for and <laughs> that certainly has rung true because that uh careful what you wish for because when it comes you better be ready and you better be uh prepared to to take on the challenge because you really only get one shot at a first impression and your your opportunities when they first come you know you, you better be ready for it um so careful what you wish for that that's always rung true those two those two quotes right on man do you um we talked about tv but do you have a, a musical album that you could listen to on repeat um i mean i got some songs like you know journey don't stop believing if that comes yes. on uh I, I go right back to st lawrence at the tiktok <laughs> yelling at the top of my lungs um but uh yeah, i'm a big dave matthews fan always have right been on. so yeah. pretty much anything dave uh yeah pretty much Back anything style. dave I, yeah that's great you know. what's the best place you've ever visited uh, other than ogdensburg and the yes. st lawrence river st. Lawrence. um uh, we went to Malaysia uh, a number of years ago uh, mm -hmm. with my wife's family, and uh, it was it was the most unbelievable two week experience I've ever had. At one point, we were on a sailboat yacht that her uncle got for the whole family, sailing around the Andaman Sea. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it was unbelievable. There's I. I don't think I uh, appreciated it as much as I should have because now knowing. I'll probably never do a trip like that again, but yeah, uh, right. yeah the, going to Malaysia, that was, that was incredible. That was awesome. That's cool. As you kind of came up through the ranks, did you have anyone that kind of inspired you and, and what was something that, that kind of stuck out for you? Um, in terms of basketball, like yeah, the referee it could be anything, stuff? could be anything, could be a relative, um, you know, coworker, other official. Yeah, I mean, I I really think um, I think uh, when I started refing and the impact that had on me, you know, I had a lot of great people that you know um, I looked up to and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, you were one of them. I, I know oh, that sounds thanks, kind man. of funny to say, but uh, you know, you were already you know doing a lot in officiating, and I you know was your buddy and saw you right. and doing it with you, and I'm like I want I want to do that stuff too. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, you know as I got to know Jamie Lucky personally, um, right. and he's just been such a great you know advocate for all of us from the North Country, and um, you know certainly seeing the path that he um, blazed going from Ogdensburg to Charlotte and where he right. got to in terms of officiating. Um, that was, that was certainly something that, you know, uh, I looked up to, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it, and it, you know, he kind of laid down a roadmap for how to go about doing it from listen, Ogdensburg, New York, right. Or from small town. Yeah. Um, right. Let's but do it, this. But it's, but it's possible. Yeah. 
it's funny guys like you my dad and even like guys like your uncle pat just um for yeah. me inspired me because they just took it so seriously you know they they, they cared which is kind of cool um, I, I i make fun of my uncle pat all the time because i one of my first games i ever did was with him and i got his evaluation to this day and i'm like you just couldn't give me a perfect score on everything you had to <laughs> you had to you had to knock me down a little bit and uh he, he he'd he'd say i uh he, he, I, he, I got too high of a score uh, altogether, but anyway. Ah, oh, that's cool, man. Well, I just want to wrap it up. I want to, I don't want to steal you from your family uh, anymore here. I just wanted to say, um, I feel like the funniest thing about basketball, the most interesting thing about basketball that I learned was like, you can yell at me about my calls or whether I'm right or wrong, but I always remember people telling me early on, just don't let people question your integrity. And um, I just feel like your journey has been kind of built on, um, you know, integrity and, and, and trying to do your best, which, which while, while I was looking forward to connecting with you. So, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man, this was, uh, this was cool, man. I appreciate it. Good questions. Uh, this is, this is better than a session at school, you know? Yeah, abs- absolutely, man. Um, no, I, 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 I can honestly say I pretty much owe my life to, uh, to refereeing basketball in so many ways, the doors mm-hmm. it's open, the people I met and relationships I have. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty surreal, man, to, you know, you start out with a goal and a vision and a dream and, and then uh, you start to uh, accomplish little parts of it along the way. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. But like, listen, man, we're talking tonight because of uh, the bond of refereeing and a basketball game. Yeah, it's right. kind of crazy. Right. And yeah, uh, and that's the nature of this, this, you know, fraternity and group of people. We, uh, we take it serious, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's something that you just, you, you gotta be a part of it to really know. Right. And, right. And that's what's, that's what's so special about it. I feel like I should give a shout out to joy too, for putting up with your crazy season. <laughs> Honestly. Right. You do need to, I mean, people joke about it, but you need to find someone that like gets it. Listen, she, 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 she can say how hard referee season is, but uh, she's going to have me around for the next five months. <laughs> she's going to be begging for referee season to be back when she's stuck with me for the next five months. I'm sure of it. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's cool, man. Well, all right. Well, we'll tell her I said hi and have fun with the kids and um, we'll be thinking about you. Uh, hopefully you heal up soon. Yeah, man. Same to Sarah. Tell, uh, tell him I said hello. And hopefully when all this COVID craziness uh, subsides, you know, we can uh, get the kids back together. We'll bring them up to the St. Lawrence show. Them what's up? All right, buddy. All right, man. Take care. Talk to you. Be well. Yeah. Yep. <laughs>